technology officer here with the FireEye Ion Security Podcast. Our guest for today's podcast is Jurgen Kucher. Jurgen is the Senior Vice President responsible for all of our Mandiant Consulting and Managed Defense offerings here at FireEye. Uh, Jurgen, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you for having me, Grady. Our topic today uh, is one I always enjoy talking with you about. Uh, it's our annual M-Trends report. This is actually uh, just came out with our ninth annual M-Trends report. It's hard to believe. Um, and a lot of interesting stuff in there. Uh, I, you know, I thought we'd start out. I, I had a chance to look through the report. And uh, the you know, first thing that jumped out was that attacks by Iranian threat actors were front and center. Um, why do you think Iran is becoming a trend when we think about the, the cyber threat landscape and what are they really trying to accomplish? Yeah, it's indeed been an interesting evolution. We've seen a significant increase from attacks originating by these threat actors sponsored by Iran, right? And uh, initially, these threat actors were very focused just on disruptive attacks. Think about website defacements, DDoS campaigns, destructive malware, etc. But they've really evolved well beyond this, right? If we look, for example, at APT33, who we released a separate report on, they've been conducting cyber espionage against the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and South Korea now for a couple of years, right? And APT33 was, for example, very focused on organizations in the aviation sector involved in both military and commercial capacities, but also organizations in the energy sector with ties to, for example, petrochemical production. So the latter, we believe, is primarily because Iran has a strong desire to expand its own petrochemical production and competitiveness. And the reason behind targeting companies with aviation-related partnerships with Saudi Arabia is probably because Iran is looking to gain insights on Saudi Arabia's military aviation capabilities to enhance their own domestic aviation capabilities or to support their military and strategic decision-making vis-a-vis the Saudi Arabia, right? By now, these uh, Iranian threat actors are targeting victims really across all industries, and they've achieved the level and scale of other nation-state-sponsored threat actors from other countries, right? We've really seen them evolve from their initial days being focused on these destructive attacks to full-on cyber espionage capabilities, now building their own custom malware, increased skills and capabilities. It's been an interesting evolution to see. It is, because you, you touched on that evolution from destructive attacks. And I think you, when a lot of people think about an Iranian attack, we think of uh, they're going to attack the power grid or they're going to go after a water supply that's connected to the Internet. Uh, interesting, that's just really not the case. It, it is more traditional economic espionage um, versus those very loud kind of visible attacks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been uh, right now their area of focus, but I also think it's always important to realize, and we've talked about that in many of our trends reports as well, sort of that evolving threat landscape, how different threat actors have evolved over the years, changed how they operate, changed their targets, etc. So you can certainly not speculate about what will happen in the future. We can just look at what our current investigations obviously tell us. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the things I'm always interested in uh, when, when I get in trends, I always flip right to the dwell time statistics. Um, I remember I, I was involved with the, I think the third M trends we did where we started tracking those dwell times. And back then in like 2012, it was 416 days. And we've seen this steady decline in the amount of time that an attacker is in a victim environment before discovery. Um, every year it goes down, except for the first time it actually ticked up uh, from uh, the, the last report to this one, it's now uh, 101 days this year from 99 days. Uh, wh- why is that? 
Yeah, it's been interesting data this year, and I think we need to slice the data a little bit to differentiate between the different regions. And if I look at the Americas, for example, we actually continue to see a healthy decrease, right? We went from 99 days 2016 to 75 and a half days in 2017, so that is a good healthy decline. You might, of course, argue that 75 and a half days are still orders of magnitude too long. Right. We'll all agree with, obviously, but the trend is in the right direction. Now, what caused the increase is that, for example, what we've seen in EMEA, which was one of the regions where we've seen an increase, is we believe it's driven by a lot of external notifications by law enforcement, right? These external notifications are informing organizations, victim organizations, of breaches that have probably been undetected in these environments for very, very long periods of time. And that is, for example, why some of the EMEA stats are the way and have been trending in the opposite direction. I think when it comes mm-hmm. to APJ, they still lag overall behind in detection, right? And their dwell times are still orders of magnitude above the other regions. There hasn't really been enough progress in that specific region. The one positive, though, also, again, looking overall, is internal notification capabilities continue to improve. And that is an important metric, obviously. Regulations like GDPR, et cetera, I'm sure are going to continue this trend In 2017, for example, we only saw 53% of all breaches being detected by internal sources. Last year, that number increased to 62% globally, with America's leading, followed by EMEA and APJ behind it. And that is a very positive trend that organizations are getting better at detecting breaches, ultimately. Yeah, it really is. It does continue to get better. And gosh, I think I remember, again, if we go back uh, five, six years when we first started tracking this, it was about 95% of the breaches were... Uh, external notifications. So what a, a world of difference uh, five or six years makes. You know, Mtrans, uh, there's a, a section we've had in there uh, more than once in the past. We, we revisited this year that once an organization has been targeted, it, it remains a target. Um, can you talk a little bit about why? But I think more importantly, if we could talk about, like, what does that mean for orgs who are finding themselves compromised? And how can they make sure it doesn't happen again? Yeah, that's definitely been an interesting section of IMTRAN's report. And it goes back to 2013, right? That was the first time when we made that claim, once a target, always a target, right, is the statement that we made. Back then, we derived that conclusion just by looking at our investigations and how frequently organizations are being directly retargeted after remediation, right? We saw about 38% of all companies were re-attacked immediately post-remediation, right? And, of course, that makes sense, right, given that most organizations still have the same data, the same information that the attackers were after, are still in the same industry, and hence are still, obviously, in the target of these attackers. Now, in 2017, we revalidated this claim, but this time we took a different approach. We looked actually at the data from a managed services organization, right, because we have many victim organizations that move right directly post-IR into a managed defense offering, right? And so there we can gain a much more long-term view of how these organizations are doing post that initial investigation. And what we saw was interesting. It was even stronger data than what we had seen back in 2013 when we opened and expanded that time window during which we were analyzing the data, right? And we saw that more than half the organizations that had been the victim of a targeted attack were getting re-attacked by the same or similarly motivated threat actors yeah. over a period of time. Wow, more than half. That's, that's yeah. unbelievable. Well, what should they learn from it? Like, so you're being attacked. You know, you're probably going to be attacked again. Like, are there best practices that you can take from that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, organizations need to think differently about 
attacks, right? They have to realize this is going to become part of their regular business, unfortunately, right? That is one clear lesson learned. But most importantly, they need to understand they got to overall their entire security defenses, right? Their detective, responsive, containment capabilities need to improve, which is why we also provide organizations with recommendations post-breach, right, that they should implement. And oftentimes these recommendations are fairly basic, but they're very effective security controls. That'll make it harder for attackers to complete their mm. mission. That will slow them down, right? Nothing can prevent it, but there are many things you can do to slow the attackers down on their mission by building, for example, two-factor authentication consistently for all external-facing systems, whitelisting jump servers, restricting privileged accounts. We still see so many organizations that have overly permissive privileged accounts, right? But also building a better cyber defense center with better hunting, monitoring capabilities, et cetera, to detect these types of attacks earlier on. Organizations have to think differently once they come out of an IR. Right. You know, it's... Um... I don't mean to be flippant about it, but companies will spend a lot of money on a red team test to simulate an adversary. I suppose once the dust has settled from an IR, if there's one good thing that can come from it is you uh, you can learn. You can almost learn as much as you might have from a, a red team um, by looking at what the attackers did and using using that to close your gaps. So uh, I guess I'm saying it can be a learning experience if treated right. Do, do you see companies ever doing that effectively? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, as we work with organizations through a breach, we definitely give them recommendations on the gaps that we identified that the attackers leveraged throughout the entire life cycle. But then we also recommend, indeed, to your point, performing regular red teaming exercises. Right? I always like to say, you only know that you have a backup if you try to restore it, right? And the same really applies to your security program and especially to your response capabilities. You only know how good they are once you've tested them, right? And the nice thing with threat yeah. teaming is that on a continuous basis, you can identify weaknesses because at the end of the day, these red teaming engagements will mimic the TTPs that the real threat actors are using, right? You can recreate the scenarios that are as realistic as possible so you can identify the gaps before the attackers re-identify the gaps and leverage them, right? And that gives a real realistic evaluation of an organization's detection techniques. It shows you the blind spots that you have and it can help most importantly address those issues before it becomes too late, right? And it also creates an interesting challenge for your own security team. Most security teams respond very positively to that. They actually enjoy going through these types of exercises because they see how good they are and they can also see where they can improve. Do most, uh, to, to that point, when organizations are, are getting a red team, do they typically, I guess what percent of the time do they tell the internal team versus um, not notify them and see if the SOC can pick it up? In most cases, we actually see that they don't inform them because they truly want to see how they would respond in the event of a real attack. Neat. Okay. Uh, definitely, definitely growing in popularity. It seems like I get asked everywhere about about our red team. I know that that's been a rapid, rapidly growing service for us. You know, I want to end up talking about something that's kind of near and dear to all of us, uh, and, and that is APT One. Um, this year's entrance marks the ten. 10th year anniversary since Mandiant started to track APT1 um, and, of course, you know, published the, the landmark uh, research report in 2013. Can you talk about China and, and recent behavior? You know, what should we expect to see? And I hear, hey, China's slowed down. Hey, China's back. What's your take on it? Yeah, it's definitely been interesting to see the evolution of APT1 over the past 10 years. It's hard to believe it's already been a decade, but uh, we've definitely seen a big change 
after the signature of the Obama-Xi agreement, right? We saw a significant decrease in Chinese threat actors targeting specifically intellectual property of U.S. companies, right? But that doesn't really mean that China is no longer active, right? What we're seeing now is, for example, significant activity related more to stealing of business information, such as bid pricing, contracts, M&A information, et cetera, right? We're also seeing an increase against cloud service providers or service providers in general, right? So it's obvious the threats out of China have changed. But one thing is consistent. China remains an active threat in the cyberspace, right? And as part of this whole evolution, it's also important, of course, for organizations to realize China's not the only threat out there. We keep seeing more and more new countries building out their capabilities, right, and following the model that China had created. We spoke a lot about Iran earlier in our discussion, and obviously Iran has been a big focus area of this year's M-Trends report. They're becoming more and more sophisticated, expanding their capabilities, but also their targets, right? I think in conclusion, I'd say the threat landscape really never changes, right? It is a constant evolution, and organizations need to realize that, that the threat landscape continuously changes about them. New threat actors come into the ring, Existing threat actors change their goals and objectives, as we saw with China, for example. That is definitely something that we've learned from the past 10 years. And we've got to continuously adapt our defensive, detective, and responsive capabilities to deal with these ever-changing threats that are out there. Can't let our guard down or assume the threat landscape won't change. That much is for sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, I think, why Mandy and Feet kind of on the front lines of that uh, really is so interesting. I mean, so much more than just a, a tagline or um, kind of a marketing slogan. I mean, Mandy really does see every one of these threats you talked about, and I think that's fascinating. Uh, thank you for taking the time to share some of your insights, and uh, look forward to speaking with you uh, for, for next year's interview. Thanks, Jurgen. Yep, thank you, Grady. Appreciate it.